Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. More resilient Queensland. That's the Suncorp spirit. They need to build a more resilient England. Pat Cummins. Ollie Robinson faces the music. Cummins bowls to He backs away and he's bowled. The captain finishes it. Pat Cummins pumps the fist. England routed in the final session under lights. They lost nine wickets for 56 runs in the collapse. It happened inside two hours. Australia wins the Ashes 4-0. And bar for the one missing wicket, it would have been a whitewash. Australia win in Bell Reeve by 146 runs. And it is just additional humiliation for England at the end as they're bowled out for 124. Yeah, humiliation, I think, is a fair word because if you're an English uh, cricket supporter, a fan, a historian, a correspondent, uh, I think you're probably feeling a bit of that even now, uh, a couple of days after the event. 4-0 defeat could easily have been perhaps 5 if Pat Cummins had got his declaration right in Sydney. Uh, the likes of Sir Ian Botham, Sir Alistair Cox, Sir Geoffrey Boycott, Michael Vaughan, they're all having a go. and uh, Perhaps it's fair enough too. Uh, joining us now, though, is cricket correspondent uh, for The Guardian, Ali Martin to give us uh, his opinion on uh, what has transpired really over the last uh, five or six weeks. Uh, Ali, we spoke to you earlier on in the piece. Uh, it really hadn't got underway at that point, uh, but now uh, it is all over and you've been having to write some some pretty tragic stuff, to be fair, about English cricket at the moment. <laughs> Morning, Smithy. Yeah, it's been, uh, yeah it's, it's been a tough one. I've, I've just, uh, uh, just woken up here in Hobart and... Uh, You've uh, you've just put me through the moment uh, once again. So <laughs> cheers for that. Um, I've got to, I've got to say we yeah we did we we spoke about half an hour before the toss didn't we uh, the first test mm. in the Gabba and I think I reported to you that they were going to be uh, probably leaving out Stuart Broad for that first test match and I remember Sweet. your reaction was one of complete uh, su- surprise and bewilderment and 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 it's it's kind of gone south from there really. It has and and Joe Root's decision, of course, to uh, to to bat first in bowler friendly conditions um, without Anderson, without Broad, it was uh, I think it, it sort of set the tone. But you still, you mm. know, over the course of of five Test matches, you do have the opportunity to bounce back in some form. But there is pretty little evidence of that, Ali. To be to be fair, and and not many players will leave and head home. Um, with anything like a, a feeling of satisfaction, reception maybe Mark Wood. Uh, that's right. I think Mark Wood's probably the only the only English uh, cricketer that comes out of it in, in credit. He put in some wholehearted, lung-busting performances. Um, you know, especially particularly at the end, he got his reward with it with a six for in the in the final bowling innings. But but actually, Mark Wood in some ways sums up a lot of the overthink because um, you know he was England's one ninety mile an hour trump card. And uh, he bowled more overs than any other Englishman in the series, but more than half of those came after the Ashes were lost. So um, that kind of uh, that kind of sums up some of the failures in selection along the way. 
68 for none in that run chase. Uh, and at one point, uh, they were the favourites to win England. And uh, everyone thought, well, there'll be a little retribution here, something at least to take out of this uh, five months of uh, five weeks of pain. But that collapse, uh, that was probably the worst of the lot. And I know it's not easy in those situations, but 68 for none. Uh, and 56 runs later, you're all out. Staggering. It was staggering. I mean, it's it's funny. The um, it, it did become very tricky under lights, I must say. But uh, that that probably shouldn't excuse what what occurred. Some of the shots witnessed. I mean, uh, to watch a guy like Ollie Pope, and and in some ways it was very hard, harsh on Ollie Pope because he he'd been dropped earlier in the series. To be dropped and then recalled in the same series, I think, is always a tough ask. Um, but to see him, you know, batting on off stump, groping outside and trying to play at the balls that he really could have been leaving, and then to suddenly. Be bowled around his legs. That was a kind of. It was almost the you know the the first dismissal, the first ball of the series in reverse. Seeing a a right armer bowled around his right hander bowled around his legs by a right armer was kind of the the, the burn stock dismissal in reverse, and that kind of that summed it up. I mean, I, I must say these days in in Test cricket, particularly when you know when when a team is uh, sort of five or six down and miles from 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 the target, they a lot of teams do lose heart these days. But we we see it a lot with England, particularly there's. You know, you're asking for uh, maybe these are cliches, and maybe it's um, you know, maybe it's a bit much to to ask in that situation just to just to show a bit of fight and a bit of resistance and a bit of grit, and it was mm. it was completely absent, and that probably probably is is just you know the result of a team that over over the course of five Test matches had just been sort of repeatedly whipped, and and let's not forget, I mean, it was a classic Test match finish uh, in Sydney, but but. We had we lost seven days, seven overs of, uh, of for rain that day, and if that rain hadn't come, and uh, you know England would have lost that, we'd have been talking about a whitewash here. Mm, we would have. Okay, so let's let's look at um, who. There, I obviously look at blame. You, you look at what the reasons why England have only won one of their last fifteen Test matches, so it goes deeper this, than just this tour. Where do, where do you sit with the, the blame here? Is it the system? Uh, not producing the players? Uh, is it the system focusing away from test cricket? I mean, a lot of people have said too much white ball, not enough red ball. Where do you sit with that, Ali? No, that's interesting, actually. I was, I, was, um, I mean, I, I do think there has been a, a massive aggressive move towards the white ball formats. Um, it's pretty much happened ever since the 2015 World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. And, um, you know, they, they, they piled a lot of resources into that, uh, into those formats. But, but ultimately, that England's failure in that tournament was a failure of selection, and um, and by the time they they got to the 2019 World Cup, they had a you know really settled side. They had a good coaching setup, etc. But they still continued really pushing it domestically um, and producing a, a massive stock of players. I mean, you see, English players are some of the most in demand in the world right now. You look at someone like the Big Bash; it's it's full of young English players who can't get anywhere near the you know the the, the first team in terms of the. The international setup, so they've created this huge sort of army of white ball players, and but the, the the red ball formats really have been left behind. Um, everything's been piled into it. There's been, an, you know, there's a, people are sort of saying, "Don't blame the hundred. I don't think people are blaming the hundred, but the hundred is sort of indicative or symptomatic of how far that aggressive push has gone with white ball cricket, in that it just dominates the summer months and. You know, in England, we're not blessed with the same weather as Australia. Uh, and, um, you know, I think Australia can just about get, get away with having the Sheffield Shield, you know, sort of bookending, bookending the season um, because the weather's mm. still strong at those times of year. Whereas in England, 
I mean, you do get you do get some 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 good periods of weather in, in April and, and September, but ultimately it's it's a bit of a lottery. And combined with the sort of uh, grassy pitches, a Duke's ball that you know really does reward sort of seventy mile an hour medium pace, it just creates cricketers that aren't really necessarily set up, um, you know, to play the long innings uh, or or potentially bowlers to. Who have that extra bit of pace and bounce that you need at international level, and 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 spinners have been pretty much marginalised as well. But I also think we shouldn't be making too many excuses because, and I heard Mark Butcher make this this point last night, and um, I really do agree. And I, he was essentially putting, you know, looking at the example of New Zealand. You know, they're sort of regular white ball semi finalists and finalists, but have managed to marry that up. Um, you know, by creating a test team that's, you know, well, the world champions. You know, and and. You know, so consistency across four, across all three formats is not impossible. And New Zealand do that with a resource of about a quarter of the number of professional cricketers. So um, as much as you can kind of look at the way English cricket has moved towards the, the white ball formats, I think it's um, I think there's probably a, a, a failure there to a degree. But I also think that, that you shouldn't get away from the fact that this is a tour that has been run pretty poorly, I think. Um, and there's been enough mistakes along the way. England's record, as you say, isn't great in, in Australia, but um, they could have competed a lot better here with um, smarter thinking and selection. And um, and also, you probably got to look at the last few years of coaching and ask how many batters have come into the uh, England setup and improved. And um, it's still the case that the uh, ever since Joe Root made his debut in 2012, he remains the only English batter to average over 40. Mm. Okay, let's look at um, a couple of individuals who may well be um, under the cosh here, as you like to say over there. Uh, Chris Silverwood <laughs> as, um, as, as head coach. Um, days numbered? Days over? Um, it's, it's, it's very hard to see a future. There's, there's a slight... I mean, Chris Silverwood was promoted to... He, he was appointed as head coach in 2019, and then... Um, he was sort of promoted uh, last year to, to to be be given the role of selector as well. So he he has all the power, and that was done apparently to be to to, to have sort of accountability there. But accountability is still not easy to get in English cricket, <laughs> even when you've got a guy who's head coach and selector. Uh, Silverwood is a good man; he's a good coach, um, but I think he has struggled on this tour. Um, and some of the selection and strategy, which we mentioned, particularly going back to Brisbane, but also. I think, but I think probably the most egregious decision I thought was the second test when uh, they went to Adelaide. They dropped Mark Wood, well, they rested Mark Wood after only twenty-five overs of um, uh, of, of work at the Gabba, uh, and obviously his hardiness has since been proved proven. But they dropped, left out their fast bowler on, on a flat one there, and also left out their spinner. And Mark uh, Jack Leach had had a bit of a pasting in that first test match, and it was. You know, but 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 these things happen. He probably shouldn't have played the first one, and then he should have played the second one, and it and it and it spun, and and also England needed a fast bowler there. So I think when you look at things like that, uh, you just kind of and this isn't it's not it's not a new thing with uh, the Silverwood regime. There's been a lot of misreading of pitches along the way, and a lot of curious selections. And um, I think yeah, I think he I think he is probably struggling here, but but ultimately. You could go all the way up the food chain, really, because Ashley Giles is um, is the director of cricket who appointed Chris Silverwood, and also the guy who promoted him as well last year. And then you could probably go even further up than that because we've got Tom Harrison, who's the chief executive. He's been he's been there for seven years, and now he's suddenly 
talking about the English game needing a red ball reset, I would suggest that you, you kind of want administrators in place who are uh, looking, you know, sort of looking and doing these things proactively. It shouldn't take a, a huge calamity to start talking in these terms, I don't think. And and it's not like people haven't been saying it for a while that England's Test cricket had been suffering. I remember well, uh, Ali, going way, way back. Uh, when I say way, way back, uh, I'm talking about, I think, August of September uh, last year when um, it was a point of conjecture as to what kind of team England would be sending because a lot of the senior players wanted their wives and families and that to be treated uh, properly in terms of uh, quarantining, etc. And that, and that became one of the, the really, really big issues. And often when I mm. see that kind of thing developing and that kind of, I won't say player power, but that, that kind of thing dominating the headlines, I start to get worried about uh, the substance within the playing side of things. Uh, I just mm-hmm. wonder if there are perhaps other issues uh, uh, around this team and, and uh, sometimes that can lead to poor performance. Yeah, I suppose. He, I mean, it probably could suggest. Uh, I certainly know that was the that was the vibe in Australia as well. Um, the, the modern player likes to, you know, likes to have the, the sort of their families around. And I think, particularly for England, I, I do think it's a particularly acute issue for England in that um, they pack out the fixture schedule. I mean, you know, it, it, it is a twelve month sport for 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 England for an England player if you are a multi format player. And I think they made. They probably used. Uh, they, they, they probably they, they essentially wanted those multi-format players in particular who are going to be going straight through from the start of the World T20 through to January. These are guys that were going to be away from family for, for for four months, and they wanted to get those provisions in place. But um, I've got to say that uh, what actually transpired was a lot of the multi-format players' families did, never made the Australia trip in the end, and it, it sort of struck me that they'd pushed all their chips into the middle on that front to get families in. When actually thinking about it, I, I feel like England hold, held a lot of aces there, and if there were going to be negotiations to be had, it was to be, it was to start the series in a state that didn't involve 14 days hard quarantine. That would have been, that that would have been the way to go if, if I was pushing that. I mean, I, I don't know how negotiations work at the kind of uh, top administrative level to, to to that level of detail, and whether that could have been moved. But to put guys through a hard quarantine in Brisbane, and um, I mean, it's kind of unfortunate their preparation got wiped out by rain when they were there but um it, it just struck me as a strange one and it, it and there was a lot of sort of fear about how australia would be in terms of quarantine and borders and and what have you but that when the series came around it, it, it kind of melted into the background and and you're right you kind of it, it, it did make you wonder whether they just kind of overthought and over over worried about that but it is kind of symptomatic of how much england play across across the 12 months important uh, of course now becomes um, the home summer uh, England's home summer and uh, because you're, you're always uh, are really on trial when you're playing in front of your own and of course uh, this summer features uh, a tour by uh, a New Zealand side to play test matches so all of a sudden I think probably one of the most important home series for England in quite a while it is, it is, and and it's funny actually. We talk about kind of rest and rotation and uh, and those side of things, and I seem to remember a New Zealand side making six changes at Edgbaston and uh, and absolutely wiping the floor with England last year. So uh, that that is a sign of the depth that New Zealand cricket has right now, and it represents a a big challenge for this England side. They, they actually go to the West Indies for three a three match test series before, before then as well. So um, whether the whether the reset can you know whether whether there is a change of personnel 
uh, a change potentially of, of head coach before that tour even i'm not sure it's it's it, it, as i say the the the, the 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 schedule doesn't stop for english cricket uh, for the england team the england men's team in particular um but you essentially look at it is for england it's the entire uh, month of march which is in the caribbean a three test series then obviously for some of uh, the best players potentially that's uh, the, there's the ipl that then runs for two months and the ipl final i think start uh, is the day after that first testing against New Zealand starts. So if you're a player going to the IPL, and I think someone like Johnny Bairstow, who's the only centurion uh, in this Ashes series for England, you know, probably the, arguably the one bloke to, with the bat to come out and credit, um, you know, is he going to go through? What what are the priorities here? Will he be recalled and, and, and you know, asked to play a bit, of, a bit of county cricket before that first test and get into the red ball zone? You know, it's... Um, it's going to be an interesting few months ahead, but you're right. That is a that is a, a, a bumper series, a three match series against New Zealand, which a, a lot of people in England have been calling for for a long time because I think people have recognised that you know the skill and quality of that New Zealand team, and for too long it was just a two match uh, test series and and always sort of treated as a warm up. It, it will be the first series of the summer, but um, for my money, it's it's you know it's 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 going to be a fantastic. Fantastic challenge for this team that, that is going to be rebuilding. There's almost you can almost say there's anyone they'd rather not face because um, it's the World Test Champions when you when you're attempting a rebuild. Mm. So um, yeah, tricky one. Ali Martin, uh, thank you very much for your time this morning. I think uh, one of the words you uh, the most important words you mentioned in there was priority, uh, and I think that's what England uh, cricket has to look at. To be honest, uh, in my reserved opinion, from a long way away, you've got to get your priorities right and your people in the in those positions too organise those priorities so uh, and I think it'll improve from there I mean it might be as simple as getting an opening partnership that that makes sure that you get to 100 for none one day and it might just build from there it might be that simple but uh, Ali thanks very much for your time I, I really appreciate uh, the two times you've been able to talk to us uh, pre and post uh, let's hope you can write <laughs> about happier things for England cricket coming up uh, and, and again <laughs> uh, safe travels stay safe and stay well cracking cheers Smithy good to see you. Yeah, good on you, Ali uh, Martin there from uh, the Guardian newspaper, one of many journalists who have had to uh, review this Ashes performance and uh, not too well either, to be honest.